So we pick it up tonight in verse 1 of chapter 10, and Jesus, uh, the narrative tells us this. And when he, Jesus, had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon uh, the Canaanite from the region of Canaan, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, or the non-Jews, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, half Jews or some Jewish elements, but not really Jewish, the Samaritans. We've covered them in the past. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor a bag for your journey, nor two coats or tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust from your feet. As surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. All right, we'll stop here for tonight. The rest of this chapter is red letters, so it just keeps going on, the narrative coming from the, the words of Jesus. But tonight we want to look at this part. So this is, he's calling the, first the apostles are called disciples, because we all begin with discipleship. But then that special calling that Jesus had for them to be the 12 apostles. We know that Jesus said the 12 apostles will rule and reign over Israel in the kingdom. So there's something in the future for the apostles, but of course the great mystery is Judas, who was removed, well, he hung himself and betrayed Jesus, and then was replaced by Matthias, who became the new 12th apostle there in the book of Acts. Apostle means sent one or messenger. There are a total of five other guys mentioned as apostles with that title in the New Testament, but there's certainly something special with the 12. Paul the Apostle, of course, we see him in the book of Acts when he's persecuting Christians, and then Jesus, he has the encounter with Jesus, and he, instead of being Saul of Tarsus, the great rabbi persecuting Christians, he becomes Paul the Apostle, proclaiming that message of the Christians and winning people to Christ with that ministry to the nations, the Gentiles, and dominates, of course, the second half of the book of Acts. It's noteworthy when he writes his letters, he often says, you know, Paul called by the Lord, called to be an apostle by the will of God. And he, he really, you see in his letters how much he valued being called by the Lord and the position, his identity in the Lord, what he, who he really was in time, space, and matter in the kingdom of God for his generation. And of course, it was very special. You know, obviously, Paul the Apostle is an amazing person and his legacy is unmatched in human history one of the greatest men that ever lived. In fact, if you just look objectively at the book of Romans, for example, it's considered one of the greatest you know, intellectual thought processes ever written by a man and presented to people. 
his defense, his explanation of the Old Testament, presentation of the gospel, justification by faith, and how it all works. I mean, it's it's like it's incredible. The, the intelligence and the genius of Paul is is unmatched, really, in human history, and it's very clear in all the books, as led by the Spirit, but particularly in the book of Romans. So there's another apostle, but these are the 12, and this is where it begins. But they are disciples first. That idea that you're a follower of Christ and you're committed. And then these guys, he chose them. After all night, we're told from the other gospels, he chose them. There are four lists in the New Testament of the apostles, three in the gospels and one in the book of Acts. And they follow this cadence or this sequence. It always starts with Peter and it always ends with Judas. And the reasons for that would seem obvious because, of course, Peter was first among equals, if you will, and Judas was the one who betrayed him. There seems to be a cadence where there's this four, then that four, then that four, is how they're presented in their presentation in the four spots. And, of course, Peter and Andrew, John and James are associated together. Uh, They're the front four in, in all four lists, and they were brothers, two sets of brothers, and they had a fishing business together, which the New Testament makes clear to us as well. They're, but the thing about this list is they're everyday people, right? They're just, they really are. They're just, there's nothing profound about them. It's been well said that when Corinthians says to us, not many wise, not many noble are called, but God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's just another way of saying these are the apostles. In fact, when they stood before the Sanhedrin council in the book of Acts, those religious leaders who crucified Jesus, they said, these men are untrained and uneducated but they perceived and they knew that they had been with Jesus. And they couldn't match, of course, the authority, the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, the apostles, when they spoke to the Sanhedrin council. Contextually, these men, Jesus called them like Matthew the tax collector, and they were, they were a collection of 12 men following Jesus, and off they went to do the adventures, and suddenly now he has chosen them from out of the multitude, more specifically, and now he's going to team them up in groups of two, and, you know, we don't know how long they went out for. We could guess at least weeks to go to these villages. And what a, what a, I mean, when I read this, I'm like, wow, that's pretty, it's the whole, doesn't it kind of make you nervous? Like, what if that was me? Like, I like an extra pair of shoes. I, I like some gold and silver in the pocket, if you will. I like to know I can go to the mini mart and buy something. You know, in a foreign country, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in Russia or Chile, you, there's a gas station, there's a mini mart, here's a currency, and you, you can get something. Like, when I travel, I like things in my backpack. When, you know, Pastor Hector used to call me squirrel because I always had nuts in my backpack. We'd be somewhere in Chile, and I'd be like, oh, oh, what is that? And I'd pull out some sweet treat, and Hector's like, what? Give me some of that, you know, and I'm like that. So the whole idea of having nothing and having to depend upon others, well, that goes against, against it for many of us, right? Like, you know. I want to trust other people and depend on other people just in case I want to make sure I got my bottle of water and my food, clean socks and clean underwear, right? That's how we are. So this is a very sobering passage, let alone when you go to community and, you know, you, you love to be accepted like, oh, we've been waiting to hear this good news forever. As, but some people are like, get out of our city, right? Like that's, they've already seen that when Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee and they the city begged Jesus to leave when he put the man in the right mind and clothed and in his right mind. It's hard. You know, in the last year, I've had conversations with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses about how hard it is to go door to door. And I get them laughing because I say, I've gone door to door, man. It's hard. I mean, I always get attacked by the dog. Do you ever get attacked by the dog? Like, yeah, I do. Like, it's, it's humbling to knock on people's doors to sell them anything. 
Even candy for your popcorn or football team. It's humbling when they used to do that. It's hard. Reading this passage, most of us go like, man, that is for someone else. The whole idea that I'm going out totally vulnerable, depending on other people, with a message that's going to be rejected by many people, that's not something we're hurrying up to sign up for and get in that line. But that was the context for them. He was training them. He was teaching them. And then, of course, in the book of Acts, the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes up upon them and all the others. And then the world changes. And they changed that first generation, and God's been changing generations ever since through the local church that's linked together as the universal church, all those people that are born of the Spirit of God. Which brings us to us tonight. We, this, is, this is very uniquely them, obviously, contextually. Later on, Jesus would send out the 70. Then, after he resurrected, again, the day of Pentecost, and they would change the world. And it's church history, and here we are tonight. So when we look at this text... We can see the context, but we do, we do want to acknowledge that, but we really want to look at it more like, oh, what is this for us tonight? You know, in January, January 20th, 2024, like what, what does this mean for me? Like with my job and, you know, where I'm at in life and what's going on in my generation and who we are and what we're doing. What does it mean for the church on Saturday nights in its 19th year in Fountain Valley? Like what's it mean for us? What's it mean for, you know, branches down the road on Sunday or Dave Roth tomorrow morning where... Danny's going to be playing on Sunday. You know, what's it mean for everyone in Laguna Beach with Dave Rolfe's ministry and the fellowship there or over here at Calvary Costa Mesa or Joe and Kathleen Pettick down here at the harbor, all these people, Bill Welsh, these people we love. In our, and not just that, but all the denominations, you know, where people are preaching the gospel. George Hulse down there in San Clemente, you know. Well, what's it mean? Like, what if every pastor in Southern California was teaching this text tomorrow at every evangelical church that is Bible-believing, gospel-preaching? What what would it mean? Like, what would it look like when we all go out on Monday morning, the 22nd, in a region of 24 million people? What's it look like? Well, let's think about that. The key word, I think, the key phrase in verse 7, he said, you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus already said in the Sermon on Mount that we're the light of the world, and a city on a hill can't be hidden. We're salt. We're light. Jesus is the light of men, the light and life of men. And then he makes us light, and we're to shine. We, we represent good news, how we act, how we respond. We're bringing Jesus in this situation. And so we may not be called to go from village to village in northern Galilee 2,000 years ago, or we might not be like circuit preach, Methodist circuit preachers in the 1800s going through the Wild West, you know doing something like that, or missionaries getting on ships and going to the South Pacific in the late 1800s and arriving in America, Samoa, or whatever, Tahiti, like, hey, we're your local missionary. You know, we're, we're, we're not those people. We're this people here and now. And most of us are in the second half of life. I had a conversation with Jeremy Camp yesterday, and uh, I, I didn't realize he was, Jeremy's 46, and we were talking, because he's a sports guy, I said, you know, Jeremy, you might be in the second half, but it might just be the end of the first half. You might be in the final two minutes of the first half. I'm like, 46 is 92. Like, my dad's 93. You, he's, and you know what he said? He goes, no, I'm in the second half for sure. He goes, I'm playing the game of life like it's second half right now, and we want to go downfield and score a touchdown. What's it mean to Jeremy Camp at 46 versus Jeremy Camp at 2023? 20, when we started out at Big Calvary with Worship Generation. 
Well, it's the kingdom. It's always about the kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. We represent eternity. We represent Jesus, and his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, but we represent eternity in our lives on Monday morning, wherever we go, and even, in fact, tonight when we go home. So as we think about the kingdom calling and really what that is for us, what can we, what can we take in application as a follower of Jesus tonight in this passage? Well, verses 1 through 4 is the calling. It says he called them, he empowered them, and he sent them. Verse 5 says he sent them. So called, you know, called, empowered, and sent. That could be a three-point message right there, but it's not tonight. But the first thing he did is he did actually call them. He, you know, he called them like we were talking earlier about the apostle Paul and, and even these 12 here. He called them. And he called them individually out of a multitude, and he called them collectively together to be a team, which is really what I want to focus on here tonight on this first point. They're, they're all under Jesus, just like us tonight. We're singing songs to Jesus. We're singing songs about Jesus. We, we're under Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. Sam's an under-shepherd. Anthony's an under-shepherd. We're all here together. You know, Susan's a shepherdess teaching the women. Like, we're, we're, you know, we're all under King Jesus. He's the head, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're the body. So when we come to Christ, we're under Christ the head, we're part of the body of Christ, and of course, literally the Holy Spirit uses a physical body to give us that understanding, and no part of the body can ever say I'm not important and I don't belong to the rest of the body. We're all connected together. And we see here these 12 apostles, they're very different people. In the TV series Chosen, you know, they make, they make Peter and Matthew adversaries, as you know, and it's very believable. Because if I have a prosperous business and I've got a tax collector, I don't like him in the first place. Do any of you get excited about starting your tax returns in February? I don't. That's why I'm doing it February 1st, because I just want to get it out of the way. Caleb Bush, Giovanna Bush's husband, was here, and, and, I, and we both agreed that the best time to do your taxes is February 1st, man. I don't like paying taxes. I just want to get the bad news or good news, but I want to know what it is, and I want to move on with life in the, in the new year. We don't like to pay taxes, so Peter certainly wouldn't have liked to see Matthew. Like, oh. And as you know, death and taxes being the great realities of life, I'm sure you've all figured this out. Young people, if you haven't, your taxes generally go up, not down. Right? Inflation works a certain way. Governments use taxes a certain way. And that's, that's the way it is. So here you got, what if it was Matthew and Peter were a team when they sent them out in two? Like Matthew and Peter's sake, the guy who worked hard and the guy who took it from him on behalf of Rome and took a little off the top, maybe on behalf of Matthew. Hey, no hard feelings, right? Or how about Judas and Thomas? Thomas like, I'm not sure about this guy. <laughs> right? Doubting Thomas, you get it? Gizzy Thomas, the other guy's like, hey, you know, James, I'm just thinking like, I got a weird feeling about Judas. And, and Thomas, you're always like that. Why do you always talk like that and think like that? I don't know. I'm just telling you, man, I got a weird feeling about Judas, man. Like, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, they're just like us. They're 12 men, or we, can, we include women, like 12 women together. They're just like us. But they're learning to function together as a team under the head coach, Jesus. You know, I found it interesting when Brandon and I, Pastor Brandon, who's, you know, starting that church down there in Dana Point very soon, when we coached the U.S. Junior Surf Team, and when I, when I went out overseas traveling with the, when we won the world championship in 2017, it was 12 surfers. Isn't that kind of interesting? Like, it, at that time, it was, 
eight boys and four girls, like varsity JV. But, you know, they got it gender equal, which is great because it's great in it's great that it's gender equal, but it's even better for USA because the USA girls are better surfers than the USA guys. So the chances of winning gold went way up when you had more American girls, and that's why they keep winning gold or making the podium all the time. The American girls are fantastic. They're more successful internationally than the men. But it was always 12. And I'd just be like, God, this is 12. This is, this is just like, it's like I've got 12 surf disciples for Team USA, and I can't pray or preach, but not publicly, but we're getting on a plane and we're, got 50 surfboards and we're off to Japan to try and be world champions. Like it, it, I was always aware of that. And, you know, being a coach, I had to figure out like, how do I get these 12 to work together? Especially when they're normally rivals as individual athletes, but they compete collectively on behalf of their country at a world championship. Like anyone that's ever coached youth sports, raise your hand. You ever coach youth sports? Raise your hand. I know Haley has. Okay. Right. I say this about little league with 12, 12 kids on your little league team. Three are really good. Three are really bad. And six are average. And the parents, three parents are going to support you no matter what. Three parents don't like you no matter what. And the six others don't care. As long as our kids play like half the game. It's just human nature. So these are adult men who were doing one thing before Jesus showed up. Now they're doing totally something else. And they're being sent out in two. We learn a lot from it. They changed the world. They changed the world as we know, not from their ability, but their availability. My book's getting closer to being done, and, and that phrase really pops up there for the ministry calling. That Calvary Chapel phrase, so popular in the late 80s. It's not our ability, but our availability. And that phrase really ministered to me in 1988, eight, uh, 87 actually, when Brian Broderson asked me to consider being a pastor. Because when I based it upon my ability, I was like, there's no way in the world I'm going to be a pastor. But once I realized after the Greg Laurie tape for Given and Used cassette tape that I listened to November 1st, 1987 between Santa Cruz and coming home, it's easy to remember. It was always the day after Halloween. It's easy to remember. That CD, that cassette tape, it was a cassette tape. I realized it wasn't my ability, but my availability. So I got part of it right. Like Jesus called me and here I am. I'm part of the team. And all these other people and like, all right, I'm part of the team. Brian gives me three books, tells me that's my office, and says, start reading them, and you'll know what to do when you, you figure it out. 9.15 in the morning, the secretary calls me in the office. Hey, we got a, a Catholic mom here with her rebel 16-year-old son. Can you pray with them? I'm like, I can do this, because I was a 16-year-old rebel son with my Catholic mom. It was just availability. That's what these guys, they're available. They didn't have it all figured out. It's not like they went to a special Bible training to go out into these villages and do what they did. I mean, there's like, here we go. Like, like hockey, just start firing the puck away at the net and see what happens. This, this is the beauty. This, this encourages me. This, these guys being called, empowered, and sent totally encourages me. But they're a team. And every local church is a team. And that's why we're told to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And when a sports team has unity, they can do great things. But once there's division, you lose power. It's like kryptonite with Superman. You lose, you lose the power. And once churches lose their unity, they have all kinds of problems. And you can have church splits. You can have all things go wrong. So that's why we really, Jesus is what unifies us. We've, the unity is already established. Endeavor to maintain the unity. We have unity. We have unity in faith. And we have unity in calling and destination. So as we learn to serve one another and 
esteem others more important than ourselves and wash each other's feet, you know, symbolically, as Jesus said, as I've done, you'll do, and happy are you if you do this, then we, we thrive and flourish, which is what we've done here. You, to really shine for the kingdom of God and have a lasting eternal legacy, we're going to be a part of a team. It might be different seasons. Team, team, team Calvary Chapel Vista, 1988 to 1990. That was three years with that team. And then it was like, you know, there we are in Virginia, there we are in Vermont, then we come back, then we're at Big Calvary with Pastor Chuck and all the pastors on staff. That's when Joe Pettick and I became great friends because we served the Lord together there. We see each other at the supermarket. Joe, what's up? We did youth camps together in Indiana with Jeremy Camp, 2001, 2002. Joe Pettick brought the youth group from Michigan down to those youth camps. And then eventually he met um, Kathleen, his wife, future wife, who's a secretary at Calvary Costa Mesa. And then they said, Joey, we think we're called to start a church in the harbor. Oh, let's go do it. And so, you know, we're a team here, and now we're like, we, we're, we're, we're all, you see what I'm saying? Like, we need the vision to understand we're part of a team. When you come here on Saturday night, you're part of a team. Team Jesus, WG. It's like you're, you're, it's like you're on the, with an American flag on your patch, like D-Day, June 6, 44, but you might be the 101st Airborne, the 82nd Airborne, or something like that. You're, you might be the guy on the ship dropping off, but we're part of the overall team. But our, we have a particular identity within that team, and for us, it's, it's worship generation, part of the Calvary Chapel movement. That's how God arranged it for us. Pastor Matt, the former pastor of Shortline, he's back up there in Bakersfield at the big church, and he's part of that S Southern Baptist Convention team, and that's an awesome team. You find your place, and you grow, and you learn how to work with others. That's what these guys, Jesus was teaching these guys how to work together under him. Under him, unified by his spirit. He was teaching them how to have the vertical with him as the master, and they're the disciples, but how to work together. He taught them how to work together in twos. It seemed possibly even in clusters of four, and certainly collectively as 12. And they changed the world. And ladies, as you go forward with Susan and the women's ministry all the way to summer, you're going to study that. How, how these, because they were the leaders of that first local church. We're called together with Jesus. Availability, diversity, community, that spiritual community. Just make sure Jesus is the head of your community, right? Make sure he's the basis of your fellowship. That's the key. So we're just reminded tonight that they were called by Jesus and they were called together. In my book, I talk about when I was terrified to go to church. And you need to understand, a lot of people you invite to church are terrified to even park in this parking lot. Even to come to play basketball, some people are like, I'm not sure I even want to go where the church is, right? I sat in that parking lot at Vulcan Square waiting for my sister, who was going to meet me at the 6 p.m. evening service at Calvary Chapel North Coast. 87, spring of 87. And she got in a fender bender and couldn't call me. And I was in the car in the parking lot and I'm Joey Brand, the pro surfer, and it's like, and I'm walking to this church, and I'm like, I, I don't know if I can do this. Oh, I can't, oh, oh, what am I going to do? And my sister was the, was the one, the advocate that's going to walk with me. She got in that car accident. I didn't even know it. And at 6 o'clock, I, I thought, this could be the most important moment of my life. If I don't walk in this church right now on my own, I may never enter into what God has for me. 
And I don't want to miss that. And I got to tell you, I was trembling walking through the front doors of that church. I was so nervous. And I walked through the door and I said, hey, and there's a server. She's like, dude, Joy Brown's at church. Dude, dude, Joy Brown's I'm like, I know what to do, right? So, so I go in the church and Mickey Yarbo, my brother's best friend, who was one of the judges on our pro tour, was in the front row. I was like, hey, Joey. And he called, and I went to the, I was like, oh, it's Mickey. It's someone I know. And I was never the same. And I learned to function with other people in the church of Jesus Christ. And over the next couple of years, when Jennifer and I went out with the movie Sunriders and we did the drug and alcohol recovery ministry, what we learned is how to serve other people, respect other people, and work with other people. Because before that, it was just a Joy Brand California Kids show. But now I'm serving everybody, and you can relate to me because there's a little Joy Brand California kid in all of us. That it's Ichiban in Japanese. Number one, it's all about you. This is, this is a journey these guys went on. It wasn't just going to village to village. It was how they're going to share their lives for the next couple of years with Jesus and how they're going to change the world after Jesus. So we have to get every lesson in every season as part of Team Jesus wherever he's put us for that time and season. So many people have come and gone here in 19 years. Find your team, flourish in your team. You follow me? So if you move on to Indiana like Lucas and Susan Timmerman, or you move on to Idaho, like Nick and Sandra Rose and the Fosters and all these people. Find your team, come under Coach Jesus, and serve and function and be a part of the kingdom, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Team Jesus. The second thing we see is they were sent with purpose. Verses 5 through 10, there's, there's some interesting macro details. Uh, less is more, clarity, simplicity is to me, as you all know, is just beautiful. You know, Jennifer pulled me aside last week. And she goes, you know, Joey, not everyone thinks in a four square like you. Because I put everything in a four square, right? I can put everything in a four square. Here's the topic. Here's the four squares. She's like, some people just go linear. You mean some people have endless bullet points? She's like, yeah. Oh, oh. I need simplicity. I like simplicity and clarity. In this text, Jesus says, here's what you're going to do. Don't go to these people. And it's not so much that he's banning them from that, because they are going to go to those people. They are going to go to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. It's just not the right time. Life is like dominoes, each one in its proper order. In Zig Ziglar's famous book, Closing the Sale, he says the worst thing salespeople do is skip the bases when they're trying to score a home run. Each thing in its order with the Lord, timing. The right person, the right place, the right time. We see that in the book of Acts as well. We need to know, so the first thing Jesus said when he sent him out is, where you're not going. Learning your no is often way more important than knowing your yes, and a mark of maturity in life is knowing how to say no, to discern no and say no then you're really free to serve the Lord because people will manipulate you to do what they think that you should be doing for the Lord. So you need to know the Lord personally and you need to know his no. Jesus gave them no. In case you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing when you go out there and you're traveling around for me, no to the Gentiles and no to the Samaritans. Everything in its order. So when we think about sent with purpose, whatever God's doing in our life, in a local church, but just in life in general. I want to make this applicable to your job, to 
just, just life in general, you, we need to know what we're not called to do. We may never be called to do that. We all have lots of ideas. We do. We have different ideas. We might have different visions and different dreams. Make sure Jesus is Lord of them all. And you can hear what he says. That's not for you. We need to know what no is. And isn't it nice? So here it is. First thing he says is no to these people. Yes to these people. And you're going to preach and you're going to do these signs. So you have a message and signs. So no, yes. And when you get there, message, signs, healing, cleansing, raising, casting out. Mm. It's almost like that's like, like a three with an A, B, C, D. It's all, that all kind of goes together. These are the signs. Now, those are their signs. Our signs might just be not talking back to the boss or telling the person you're married to you're sorry without an excuse, right? For some spouses, that'd be a miracle. For some spouses to hear their spouse say they're sorry and not make an excuse for what, what they're saying they're sorry for. It's the signs and wonders of the kingdom. The signs and wonders for them was raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, healing and doing all this stuff, casting out demons. In, in, in the human experience in Southern California on Monday the 22nd, the signs and wonders would be show up early, good attitude, respect the boss, do the job, treat the customers with respect, love your neighbor, you know. Like, it's not that hard to look supernatural in the human experience when you're filled with the Holy Spirit because when you put a spirit-filled woman next to a carnal woman, the spirit-filled woman is distinct and different. They're selfless instead of selfish. They're givers instead of takers. They want to do everything to the glory and excellence of the Lord. They don't care. They're working for a paycheck. You see? So find your signs and wonders in the local church and wherever you go, your village that God sends you to in your your week in Southern California, your life in Southern California, or wherever the Lord has you. Know what you're not called to do. Know what you are called to do. And, and this is how you're going to do it. You're going to shine with these, these things that people can look at and say, that is supernatural what I'm seeing from that person. That represents the kingdom of God. The, the greatest compliment people can give a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to say, you are completely different than how I remember you. Like that is... And then you can't, it does help your sense of self-worth in a good way. Like you just, you should be maturing and growing each year, right? There should be more Jesus, less of you, a better version of you with Jesus. That's how it should be. And the people closest to you can recognize it. The other day at Pacific City, I sat down with Jennifer. It was Sunday evening, so we're, it's our coffee time with Phil's Coffee, if you know what I'm talking about. And it's sunset time. We got the, we're right there at the fire pit. I'm like, hey, this is our time. I see a young man. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? He's super friendly. He's in a suit. I'm like, what are you up to today? He's like, well, I'm, I'm manning the booth at the pier. Jehovah's Witness. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? So what do you do for a living? He goes, I take care of the elderly. I'm going to be an RN. Well, if elderly care isn't the main topic of choice for me to talk with people, how this, Jennifer's like, oh, my goodness, he's got a Jehovah's Witness. I'll go get the coffee and let him worry about that. She didn't know what to expect. She's, it took 20 minutes to get the coffee because it was crowded. It was actually, it was uh, Monday. I think it was MLK Monday. And she sees me out there laughing with this guy, and we're laughing. She's like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Then she comes out, and I'm hugging the guy. You know, he's a 25-year-old millennial. 
is raised in Jehovah's Witness family. And he's, you know, I understand now how they all do it, how they all show up at the pier or whatever. It's a centralized thing. And, and, and but I said, I go, that's what I said. Isn't it hard going door to door? He's like, yeah, it is. I'm like, right? I'm like, yeah, like, you just looking for common ground. And like, I was like, dude, just keep shining, you know? And I gave him a big hug. And he's like, oh. And off he went all happy. And Jennifer, Jennifer came out and she goes, I cannot believe that. Like, I just cannot believe what I just saw. I'm like, who has time to argue with this guy right now? You know, he's lived this way for 25 years. He's out here, you know, street witnessing, you know, standing there for the Jehovah's Witnesses doing his thing. It's like, you know, like, he's not that far from the kingdom. So, like, I just want to, you know, he, you know, he found out I was a pastor and evangelical. I'm like, I just want him to know I'm interested in his life. I asked him questions about his parents. He's from Whittier. I asked him questions about, like, where he went to junior college. When's he going to do the RN program? And, and, and what facilities did he take care of the elderly in? And what was it like? And what did he learn? Like, I was interested in him. What was Jesus? Wasn't Jesus interested in people? I wasn't thinking, like, oh, no, he's the guy with the magazine that won't look me in the eyes when I walk by. I didn't think that. I thought, this is a, this is a, this is a 25-year-old man in a world of Z and millennials, where people are confused with their gender is and their identity and their purpose in life. And he cares enough about other people that he's coming down here on a Sunday to stand there and be rejected by people for a religious belief. And he works full-time taking care of elderly people to become an RN. I'm, those are things I'm going to respect and encourage. But I, I think I wasn't looking for brownie points from Jennifer. She's like, man, you've you really come a long way. <laughs> Because, I mean, I've had the Jehovah's Witness shaking their feet at me. I'm like, what? Well, come on, come on. You know, I've done that. I'm like, why even do that? I don't have time for it at 62. Come here, let me give you a hug. I just, just go, I just said, go make the world a better place. I live next door to Jehovah's Witnesses. We've learned. They're not going to convert me, and I'm probably not going to convert them. But I'm going to be the best neighbor they ever had, and they're trying to be a good neighbor to me. Right? You follow me? Like, the signs and wonders isn't always raising the dead. Sometimes it can just be like loving someone even when they're completely different than you. Don't underestimate what is a, is, is a proof of Jesus supernatural in your life. It's not limited to raising the dead. So keep it simple and shine. And the final thing we see, so we have this, we're called Team Jesus. We're sent with purpose. You know, and we, we just, we don't go here, we go there. We have the supernatural. And of course, there's a faith element and all that. But then finally, in verses um, 11 through 15, the, the response of simplicity. This is really important too, because there's only two types of responses these guys could get on their journey. Did you see that? They accept you. They put a roof over your head. They provide meals for you, whatever. Like it's all fellowship. The laborers worthy of his wages. You have good fellowship with these people. It's like, it's a great experience. They're, they're believing your testimony about me as the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. And it's fruitful. You're laughing. You're breaking bread. You're having a great time. Maybe even you're praying together. Maybe you're, you're praying through the Torah, you know. Maybe you're reading Deuteronomy and you're saying, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Maybe you're doing that with them and, and Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and you're explaining to them that this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. And isn't that sweet when you have fellowship like that? Those of you that traveled the world and those of you that have gone different places and met believers in other cultures and under other circumstances, it is so wonderful to be with people that love Jesus that are completely different than you. When I stayed 
with my friends in Russia, one of the families I stayed with, he was a former general, excuse me, former colonel. He was a colonel in the Russian army. He was a doctor. And he had been in the Chechenian wars. And he looked Russian. He sounded Russian. And he didn't speak any English. He had a government job that paid very little. His wife was a professor, spoke good English. Constantine and his wife, Mariana. And they were in Nizhny Novgorod. Nizhny Novgorod. Nizhny Novgorod. Nizhny Novgorod. Like, that's how Russians talk. You're like, like, abundant life, joy? Nizhny Novgorod. Это Masabaka. This is my dog, right? Like, it just sounds angry. And the fellowship we had to spend two days in Nizhny Novgorod with these, this pastor and his wife, Calvary Chapel pastor, who was a former Russian colonel in the Chechen War, who's a doctor treating all the tuberculosis patients that you know, were Russian, that were soldiers that had tuberculosis from exposure in the Chechen Wars of the 90s. See, I was raised to not like Russia. My dad was a U.S. Marine. He fought in Korea and Vietnam. Russia was the bad guys, right? Remember even in Bullwinkle, Boris and Natasha, right? Like, the Russians were always the bad guys. You know, Red Dawn isn't, you know, Red Dawn, the original Red Dawn, man, the Wolverines, they're fighting Russians and Cubans. And then you are with that fellowship that you have. It's so beautiful. When you break bread and you bring peace on the house, when you share the peace of Jesus Christ, the peace of God, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. When you walk into a, a small church in Nizhny Novgorod with 40 believers and they're praising songs, they're singing songs you know, but they're singing them in Russian. It, it, there's a peace. It's so wonderful. When you meet new coworkers and they're believers and you realize you have fellowship, when the people taking care of your dad now in a new place, you realize they're evangelical Christians and they're singing praise songs to your dad at the dining room table. And nothing against where he stayed in the other places, but they did not sing praise songs to him at the dining room table. Maranatha praise songs. On Thursday at the dining room table at lunchtime, dad with the four women and the two RNs singing Maranatha praise songs to my dad. You're like, ah, there's peace in this house. Oh, there is peace. The peace of God. The peace of Jesus Christ. The peace that prepares us for eternity. The peace that is the testimony of eternity. We like that response. The right hand of fellowship. We, we recognize that peace. We have unity in that peace. In Russia, in the, in, this, you know, in the residential facility care, we have that peace. And that's a beautiful thing in life. Where, like when Brandon... When Brandon Phillips, Pastor Brandon, was my assistant coach on US Surf Team, he wasn't there as my assistant pastor like he was here. He was my assistant coach, and we had that peace. We had that fellowship. It's a beautiful thing, and we love it. And we can serve the Lord together, and we can coach a surf team, and we can do this, and we can do that. But then we also know there's times when we don't have peace. We know there's times there's this great conflict because you shine for Jesus. We know what it's like to endure subtle persecution because people know you're a believer. We know what it's like to be intimidated to put a Christmas card on the office wall because yours has a Bible verse and the other ones don't. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to feel ostracized because of our faith. We know what it's like to be rejected for our faith in the workplace with family and different things, our little villages and towns where Jesus has sent us to shine our light. We know what it's like to go through that. So let me close with this thought. 
We love it when we have peace and we can break bread in Nizhny Novgorod and sing praise songs in Russian or hear them sung in English in, in a residential care. But we also know it's like when people don't want your presence. They don't want your witness. They don't want your light. Well, what did Jesus say to do? He said, shake the dust off your feet. There's a wonderful illustration in the book of Acts where there in the, the latter chapter, Paul, you know, they're, they're making the fire there after the boat wreck, and, and then all of a sudden the viper latches onto Paul's hand, the viper, and what does he do? He, what does he do? He shakes it off. You can't take it personal when you're forced out of this job, out of this position, out of this neighborhood, out of this village, because that's been happening in the Church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. You want peace, you want fellowship, you want Maranatha songs in Russian, but it's okay if you don't get them. You just keep going forward, body of Christ, WG. Shaking the dust off your feet, isn't that, a, isn't that a visual for us that you just let it go and move on? Don't walk around with clumpy mud on your feet. Shake it off and you move on. That's what you do. That's how you're fruitful in life with Jesus. Look for peace when there's conflict. Shake it off and keep moving forward toward fruit and fellowship for all eternity. Yes and Amen.